the Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Miller. I'm a stroke survivor and grateful recovering alcoholic. And today I'm going to be talking about everything you are capable of becoming. This is part three. And what I've been doing is looking into Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And what I find interesting is that I have been more and more being able to find a parallel in my sobriety, uh, recovery from alcoholism, and my stroke recovery, my post-stroke recovery, and getting that willingness to to put recovery first in uh, post-stroke. And what I think could be beneficial to those that may be in recovery from some sort of life-altering event like a stroke is is the fact that um, folks that are in sobriety have a guide for living. And in that fellowship program, it's called the 12 steps. And it's like, um, it's really something that um, once you participate in it and are actively working the steps, you realize that this is a guide for living that you wish everybody, every human being um, had the opportunity to learn. And so as I'm facing challenges in my post-stroke recovery, I'm identifying how I can pull the steps in because since it worked for me in the other recovery, why can't it work, work for me now and keep my m- mental health in check and ensure that I'm doing everything I can to, um, in this case, if I'm aligning it with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, to address all of my needs and make sure that I am reaching my fullest potential in recovery from my stroke. So um, Maslow researched the similarities between popular characters in society, um, people like Jefferson and Lincoln. And he did this really as a personal hobby. He found that he found it interesting and wanted to figure out uh, those that exhibit these behaviors of having their shit together. What are the similarities between them? So um, these people are interested in a mission larger than themselves, not just focused on meeting their own needs, but having the ability to look outside of themselves and be able to to inspire others. So uh, speaking of inspiration... A lot of people um, I've heard as I've been listening to YouTube videos and and listening to articles on the web find Maslow's hierarchy of needs to be really inspirational. So I'm thinking, is it inspirational? What I thought was, 
was interesting is that Maslow said as he was doing this comparison of of popular people that that exhibit this kind of behavior that he was really surprised to find out there was no documented um, research or anything on this type of psychological um, topic. So I, uh, I'm wondering, it, it's, it's just super interesting to me that people have these interests and these hobbies and, and research and look into these different things like, uh, like our mental health and health and our behaviors and everything. And if they don't go the extra mile to um, see, is there documented stuff out there about this already? Is this something that maybe I should document and share with the world? Um, you never know what might be um, discovered by other people that they aren't actually sharing with the world. I don't know. It, it just was really interesting to me that, that he was discovering something that that hadn't yet been shared by anybody um or i guess researched by anybody so i uh it's is it inspiration or is it a collection of just good advice for living um is it the meaning of life or is it a way for an individual to find meaning in their lives and so what I'm doing now is I'm taking Maslow's hierarchy of needs and I'm comparing it to the 12 steps of my recovery program. And the reason why I'm doing it is not because I want to just <laughs> know if it lines up, but I want to try to see if I can apply that to my recovery from my stroke and if there's anything enlightening about how I can, um, I guess, surface any additional inspiration for how I can help myself and how I can help, help others that are listening to the podcast. So um, over time, it seems like doctors and companies and um, and the like have gr have really focused on people's basic needs. Like companies back in the fifties, they were more interested in solving an individual's basic needs. And as time has gone on, I feel that companies. Um, thought leaders, uh, doctors have started to focus on some of those advanced or elevated needs beyond our basic needs. And Maslow was, was looking at this a long time ago and looking at what is the similarity in what he called lofty people? 
So he defined several lofty people, like I said, like Jefferson, Lincoln, and he defined them. And all of a sudden, the definitions started melding together. And so after seeing that this is not something that has been documented, this type of research, it turned from a private interest into uh, a theory. Um, so what he wanted to do is learn by seeing through the eyes of these lofty people and see what it is that they value and what it is that they don't value. And how are they able to look beyond a lot of the ideals and, and uh, concerns of other people and want to help the human race, really, as a whole or pieces, you know, parts of the human race. Um, so also, I think, I don't know if it was, I guess during this time, they were, a lot of people were starting to look at mental health from a psychology point of, or psychiatry point of view. They were looking at mental health from the perspective of what happens if things go wrong, you know, like suicide, um, depression, all of these things. Well, Maslow was looking at, at it from the other perspective, which is what happens if everything goes right. And so as it applies to recovery, I want to look at my recovery from that perspective. What happens if everything goes right? Because what I've been doing is focusing on everything going wrong. You know, what am I going to do if? And what ifing? And I know better than that. I know not to what if, but it's really, you know, it's challenging to fight that urge to what if? What if? You know, I, I don't even want to say it out loud because it's just terrible things that I think of. I just think about um, my vision never getting any better. Um, so what if everything goes right? And so to start with, I have to go back to my basic needs. And as it applies to recovery, I need to look at the deficiency of those basic needs. And that's the beginning of the hierarchy of needs versus the growth needs, which is that, um, that final level of the hierarchy of needs. So I started by looking at my sobriety and thought about what was I deprived of prior to sobriety. And then after that, looked at what am I deprived of now, post-stroke. So the first four levels, as I mentioned, address deficiency needs. And the last level defines your, uh, addresses your growth needs with self-actualization. So in sobriety, I was will or no before sobriety when I was an active alcoholic I was still drinking 
I was willing to give up all my needs, all my basic needs for alcohol. And I affected the basic needs of others, of my kids, of my boyfriend, of my family, um, by just not being, I was so self-centered and focused on uh, meeting my basic needs that I was not meeting the basic needs of my loved ones. And so the more alcohol that I was taking in, um, physiologically, my body, my cells started uh, believing that the, for lack of a better word, that one of my basic needs in order to function was alcohol. So, so my cells actually shifted to like require that as a chemical in order to, um, in order to function. So if I, um, if I look at the first four needs in the, in Maslow's hierarchy, number one, alcohol replaced food, water, sleep, exercise, period. I mean, I did not eat. I did not consume water at all. I don't know how I I was not, I mean, I know I was dehydrated. I don't know how I didn't just fall out. Um, I wasn't intaking any water. I was barely sleeping, um, maybe three hours. Well, then I would pass out again in the morning. So, but passing out isn't sleep. And the only time I did fall asleep was through passing out. And then exercise, forget about it. I mean, the only time I would exercise is when I would drink enough that I would get like really hyper and do something stupid like going swimming in my neighborhood lake and almost, you know, not being able to make it back to shore. That was exercise, I'm sure. Um, so that would be the, um, the physiological needs that alcohol replaced. And then the second level for security, um, my al- active alcoholism exacerbated my already existing anxiety and depression. So I was constantly in fear. And by that, I mean, I couldn't go to this. I I just had this constant anxiety, overwhelming, unmanageable anxiety to do anything. Um, and, And I was working from home. There wasn't much of anything I needed to do. I had to go to the bus stop to get my kids on the bus. And I had to go to the grocery store, you know, and and yet I had this just overwhelming sense of anxiety. So my security, my sense of security was just completely non-existent. So that's the second level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And then the third level is love and belongingness and alcoholism very much led me into isolation. I closed myself off from 
everyone. You know, I had, I had a boyfriend, which I'm so grateful that I still have through all of this. And, um, and that was really the only, I mean, him and my kids were really the only ones that I let into my bubble. Um, but even that, I don't feel that any of them, the three of them really were, were getting to be with me, the real me. The real me was hiding on the inside. And so everybody only got to see this external shell that I was showing people, that I was willing to show people. So I closed myself off from from love, uh, from a sense of community, you know, when my neighbors wanted to get together. Um, the only thing I would get together with them for was if there was some sort of wine, you know, in the evening or something like that. But I certainly wasn't going to be joining anybody for coffee <laughs> after the bus stop. I laugh because it's just, um, that's how insane it is. And my family, you know, I remember really disappointing my mom. Um, her, her sister was in town and we had planned to go off and do something one day and I was too hungover to function. And I said that I wasn't going to go. I was a no person, not a yes person. And so I closed my family off from my love and, and receiving their love. So that would be the third level of the hierarchy. And then the fourth one is self-esteem. And obviously, I lost all self-esteem self-worth and self-respect and in turn lost respect and trust from others as I was, you know, um, lying, you know, I was lying and I was putting my, putting alcohol first before absolutely everybody. So all of those first four levels of needs were not being met when I was an active alcoholic. And, um, and so this is where it gets dangerous. And I talked about this yesterday. This is where that decision and in sobriety, this is step one. This is the decision, um, to recognize that our lives have become unmanageable. And that decision, making the decision to, um, to look at ourselves, to turn, to look in the mirror and, and make, and choose between life or death is the most critical part of the entire program in sobriety. And that's why so many people don't make it past that point. I mean, some people can look in the mirror and say, yeah, yeah, of course, my life is unmanageable. But that next step about asking for help, and and looking outside of yourself for help, that's when things get challenging because that means you got to put down the drink. You got to face the problem. So 
if I compare all of this to my post-stroke recovery and the experience that I had um, six weeks ago and on Saturday, um, I got to the point where something has to change or nothing's going to change. And I got to the point of realizing that my life was getting unmanageable again. And it's, it's, you know, I've done it before. I've, I've done it before looking at and being like, even though I didn't know at the time, hey, my first four needs in Maslow's hierarchy of needs are not being met. Um, when I look at it now, I'm able to see that. I'm able to see that I wasn't, I wasn't taking care of my body. Uh, I was not taking care of my mental health. I was not uh, interacting with other human beings and, and therefore had, had no sense of self-love or anything like that. And so looking at it now during this phase of my life when I'm, when I'm trying to go all in on my stroke recovery and, and really keep my mental health in check, I'm looking at what are my physiological needs that are not being met. And I talked about that yesterday. I talked about how I haven't been eating. I haven't been sleeping adequately. I haven't been exercising. I'm doing these things when I feel like it. It's not that I haven't been doing them. I'm just doing them when I feel like it. And when I was recovering in the beginning um, as an alcoholic, it, that was not, it wasn't a choice. You don't make the choice of when you want to not drink. It's, you have to do it. It's a, it's a commitment. It's a minute by minute, day by day, year by year commitment. And so I think it's important for me to translate that over into this recovery. So if I look at the second level of Maslow's hierarchy, safety, I was thinking, what, what, uh, part of my safety isn't being met. Well, of course, it's my health. It's my secure, my health security. I don't feel like I'm stable. Um, and then number three, the love and belongingness needs. I'm, I'm challenged finding a community where I belong. I'm challenged because I haven't been able to access digital devices in order to communicate with other people. I've been, as lovely as it is, I've been communicating with my boyfriend, and that's about it. <laughs> you know, I go to my morning sobriety meeting, and I get to talk to people, but in that meeting, I'm talking about sobriety. I'm not talking about my stroke recovery and I need it. I need some sort of friendship and um, to be a part of and have some friends and have a sense of belonging. 
And so that need has not been met um, largely, but I'm starting to find an answer there. I have been able to find a stroke recovery support group. I've had lots of people that have been starting to reach out to me um, because of this podcast. Um, what's, What's challenging to me right now is that just as with sobriety, this is as far as I can see right now, and that's all that I can handle, all that I can do anything about is what I can see right now. And what I see right now is that I don't, I don't see an end. I don't currently see a light at the end of the tunnel. And that means that I need my community to not go away. And what I have encountered is there's it's a touch and go kind of thing with um with people who I don't know how to say this without it sounding offensive without having a fellowship um then I'm almost waiting for people to reach out to me and see how I am because I certainly don't always feel comfortable reaching out to other people and being like, hey, I need to talk. I need to talk about myself. I'm not, you know, I I need some sort of love and um, I need to talk to somebody who cares about me um, because I'm not feeling good. And that's hard to do when you're in recovery. So It's just like, it reminds me of when we lose somebody that we love. You know, I I talked about a friend of our family who lost her husband last week. And you, when you lose somebody, you get this overwhelming um, outreach from people. Oh, we love you. We're so sorry you know, and it's genuine, it's genuine. But as time passes, that outreach slows down, and you are still left without your loved one that you lost. And that makes me really sad. And that's where my empathy starts coming in, that I have to regulate. But um, just with recovery, I've gotten a great amount of outreach. And as time goes on, I'm still fighting and the outreach slows down. And, and I don't expect this outreach to be constant or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm hoping for is to find a long-term, stable sense of community somehow. And I am committed to doing this podcast every single day because um, I've that's the name of the podcast, Recovery is Daily. And I want to not lose sight of the fact that when we are in recovery, it doesn't go away. People that are in recovery, some recovery is a lifetime. It's a lifetime. And 
so if I can continue the, to do this, um, I have hope, I get a star, I have hope that I'm going to build a community and it's going to be here and it's going to be static and it's not going to go away. And, um, and that's what I want to happen. I need it for me. And I know that if I need it, there's so many other people out there that need it as well. So, and then finally, uh, self-esteem. Um, in this post-stroke recovery, I have found absolutely that I am trying to find my way in finding a sense of achievement. And I don't know where to find that right now. Right now, my sense of achievement is aligned with this community. The more people that I can get to follow and listen, the more sense of achievement I have as well. And um, so that seems to be, if I'm just being honest, which that's all I do on this podcast, that seems to be what's happening with me. So this is how I have aligned the two types of recovery for me. And so what I wanted to do, um, since I just spoke about today, the deficiency needs and how that also aligns to step one with if you aren't familiar with step one of um, sobriety programs, it's about recognizing that your life has become unmanageable. And, and it's so hard to do that. And so I want to keep going on this. And so tomorrow, I want to talk about reaching outside of ourselves for help and being a human being among human beings, how recognizing that I can't do this by myself and having the willingness to accept, accept help from others. And so um, just before I close out on a side note, I did go to the neurologist today and I was able to talk about what I've been challenged with lately. And I talked about how my post-stroke symptoms seem to have really um, gotten a lot worse, almost worse than they were when I first had the stroke. I mean, it just doesn't seem to be improving at this point. After six weeks, I still um, can't uh, be on the computer for any, any extended period of time. When I first had my stroke, I started out being able to look at the computer for about 15 minutes. And even that was a stretch. But then I would take a break for two hours. And um, after a couple weeks, I would be on the computer for 30 minutes. And then I would take a break for two hours. Well, that doesn't seem to be something that I'm able to do right now. So um, she has prescribed me with an MRI. Um, so I'm happy that she did that because we'll get to see if anything has changed. If I had another mini stroke or something like that, of course, I'm hoping to God that that is not what happened. But 
at least we can start from the beginning again, see what's going on in there, see if anything has changed from when I first had my stroke. And also, I'm going to be getting um, a Doppler scan, a sonogram um, on my carotid artery and trans, what was it, trans, uh, oh, I don't have it with me. Anyway, um, <laughs> to make sure that I don't have any um, any blockage in, in any of my uh, main roadways to my brain. So that is scheduled for the, the sonogram is scheduled for Thursday. Um, and then the MRI is scheduled for August 15th, a little later than I want to wait, but Hey, that's what I'm doing. I'm just doing a lot of waiting these days. So thanks for listening. And I will talk to you tomorrow.